Welcome to the Improv in Practice podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Wilson, bringing you interviews, inspiration, and information on improvised theater with Synergy Theater. You can find Synergy Theater's classes, workshops, performances, and more at synergytheater.com. That's S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y theater.com. Okay, lights down, curtain up. Hi guys, it's Sarah, and do I have news for you. But first, it is July 2nd, 2021, as I record this. This is episode three, and we recorded this interview May 4th, 2021. Eileen Tumlin is a performer, show director, and teacher with Synergy Theatre. Ed Schreiger is a fellow student. We talk about their starts in improv, their challenges, and where they hope Improv with Synergy Theatre will take them in the future. Our talk about spontaneity and character in improv is especially good. Look for Eileen's performances alongside Synergy Theater's incredible cast online through SynergyTheater.com. And now the news. Synergy Theater will perform live and in person at the Lesher Center for the Arts in Walnut Creek, California, beginning October 14th, 2021. The new season includes Spontaneous Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, Hitchcock, and improvisers in space subscriptions and single show tickets will go on sale soon go to synergytheater.com and look under performances now here's the interview you guys are awesome for taking the time out of your busy busy schedules to be here i really 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 appreciate it just want to start with that eileen yes (laughs) how did you find improv i was sort of always aware of it as an adult, but I never thought it was something that I could do, even though I always wanted to somehow be on Saturday Night Live as a kid. (laughs) So, but I found it because my friend and neighbor invited me to go to Ken's class because another friend had a child that was taking one of his, his theater classes. So that's how I started. And I think it's been like six years maybe since I started the first improv class. Had you ever taken any theater class before? So my my official sort of start in the theater world would be, I think in seventh grade, I did the props for the production of The Hobbit. So I was in charge of props and set building. And <laughs> does that mean you were in charge of the one ring? I was in charge of that, that, that and, and the dry, we had dry ice too. And it was just a, yeah. I don't remember so much about the ring, but it was, it was. Um, that would be you as the props master. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big responsibility to have in seventh grade. Yeah. But I was always behind the scenes. That was my, I mean, I did do one high school theater production, but it was like the most stressful thing where I was on stage. And, um, but otherwise I was really into doing background things and most of my high school friends were theater geeks, and those were my favorite people all along, even though I was technically kind of not one. But before I ever, before Ken, I think it would have been probably one of the Berkeley improv, somebody, when I lived in Berkeley, people were like, you should take improv, but I was too scared. So when I finally made the decision to take the improv class, I needed somebody to do it with me. <laughs> I couldn't do it alone. What was the first show you directed? The first show I directed was 
the Judge Moody show. And <laughs> you are about to witness the courtroom of Judge Moody. The people are unreal. Their problems are unreal. The verdict is final. Both parties have dropped their claims and agreed to have their cases settled in this forum. The improvised courtroom of Judge Moody. All rise. <laughs> I that love was... that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was the courtroom drama, improvised courtroom drama based on the people's court and Judge Judy and those sort of things. <laughs> so my, my cat is with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the first show that I directed. And then I did another one. And now I'm doing a, a third one. What is it like to direct fellow improvisers? Well, that's a good question. I was initially very afraid and I felt like I had to be completely prepared for everything, which is a good thing. But what I discovered immediately was that it's a collaborative effort, at least for the shows that I've directed it. I learned that I gained so much when it was open environment where people felt like they could have um, comments on what we were doing. And so rather than being a scary experience, it became a really exciting and fun one. And then finally, when, when somebody asked, some people in the cast asked, is this what you wanted? Is this the vision you were looking for? And that was a really cool question because then I realized like, oh yeah, I actually had an idea. I presented the idea. Then people worked really hard together and spent all this time to make it happen. And it was a very humbling and lovely experience in the end to know that people were that dedicated, enthusiastic. What was the top challenge you faced in directing? Well, personally, for me, it's probably just a matter of being organized and prepared beforehand because I am so busy. But um, the top challenge is probably to find the thread in what we're doing and find how we're going to make it become good theater. So rather than just having like a gimmick that we do, you know, and it's funny, the, the challenge is to find the things that you can hook onto as a cast to get a really cool story that's, that's theater in the end. And it takes a while to figure that out. So Eileen, if you came to me and we just met and you said, well, I, I direct improvisational plays. My first thought would be, well, how do you do that? It's all improvised. So what does a director of improvised plays actually do? <laughs> That's a funny question. Well, first of all, we write the script and then... <laughs> That's funny. Well, actually, I was doing some research recently on documentaries because the one that I'm doing now is that documentary that, that we worked on in our class. And watching a documentary filmmaker talk about the process of making documentary films kind of struck a chord because... A documentary filmmaker has a subject and a potential path that they want to follow, perhaps. And they get interviews from people and, and they get footage and they, they have all this stuff that they compile, but they don't have control over what each person is saying during the interviews that they do. And so it was interesting to hear her say that she had no control over the subjects and what was going to come out of their mouths. And so it is sort of like a you let go like I guess for me it's just have a an idea of the structure and the time frame and then pay attention to how we can work together to find that theme and then just let go and trust 
the other improvisers. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson in improv is to let go <laughs> in general, right? Yes. So Ed and I were in an improv class that you taught and it was so much fun. <laughs> what comes to mind as the biggest difference in directing versus teaching? Well, I think in teaching, I feel very responsible for trying to understand where every student is coming from because some people had more or less experience doing improv and had frankly different expectations about what they would be getting from a class. So I think in teaching, that's one thing that you're always trying to find a way to satisfy and challenge everybody without causing anyone to feel frustrated or bored. So whereas with directing, it's um, an expectation that everybody is going to work really hard and accept feedback and know that it's not personal. With students, you try to give feedback and it's a different type of feedback. It's a feedback that's directed on, you know, how to help that person grow their skills and trying to find specific things that you can give them feedback on. And with feedback as a director or a cast member, it's, it can be more blunt sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes you realize how, at least I personally realize how thin my skin is. <laughs> so sometimes it's hard to hear feedback, but, um, but it's, it's a different type of feedback. Well, that was something that I thought that you did very well. And something that I also appreciate about being in Ken's classes, and maybe you both can echo this, uh, is he delivers his feedback, his notes, they're always right. And I may feel thin skinned in the moment, but he gives it in a way that I have felt gives me room to improve and build on it and work with it. What, what would you say about Ken's teaching style and how that has affected your style? Uh, I think Ken is a really brilliant teacher and he also brings with him the whole narrative theater structure that he's developed. So I've always loved his classes because it's more than just short form improv, which he's good at as well. But especially with classes, of, he can find like the thing that you need to work on and, and help you with that. He's very observant and very patient. <laughs> so, and he's really funny and he's kind. And I think a kind human is the one, you know, that, that makes all the difference right there. So. Where would you like to see Synergy Theater go and you go with improv in the near future? I actually have really enjoyed working in the Zoom or our, you know, online platform. And so I hope that in the future, there's a way to maintain that as an additional arm of synergy performances and even classes, because I do think it's really fun when I take a class or have a class and a student is from some other location in the world. And you, you sort of realize the, the reach of improv <laughs> and it's kind of blows my mind, the, the people showing up from all over the world in these classes. So I, on one hand, I don't want that part to be too different. I, I do look forward to going back into the theater and performing, and it'll be really interesting to see how that translates, what, because we've been working at, at this type of improv in these little boxes <laughs> without our bodies next to each other. And it's difficult even 
sometimes you know you're you're not able to look directly into the person's eyes and see them look at you so it'll be really interesting to see how that feels when you get back into either a physical classroom or a physical theater and then personally i think what i'm planning on doing in the fall is because of the covid situation i, I was able to enroll in a program that i've been wanting to do for a long time which is a, a puppetry certificate program <laughs> And so I, I'm ultimately interested in finding a way to bridge puppetry and improv. And I think there's more of an opportunity using the Zoom or online platform somehow. I'm not sure exactly how that would come about. So that's, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with that personally. You know, in class the other night, we were doing a lot of character things. And one of the things that Ken was talking about was when you get into a character, you drop yourself. Yeah. So the character helps you be more spontaneous and stop hemming and hawing or saying things that you wouldn't normally say if you're just coming on without a character choice. Mm -hmm. So having a puppet to hide behind even more just lets you go any direction you really want to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe you can send Ed and I the link to your puppetry class. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds well, really interesting. Well, that's, that's cool to hear that. And I think you're right, Ed. I think it's sort of almost, I think I'm also very interested in masks and mask making. I think there's something about as we can all connect to that, when we dress up for Halloween or we wear a costume, we feel less inhibited and more free. We give ourselves more permission to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. And so I, I agree with what you're saying, Ed. I think that's a really great parallel that you're describing. Eileen, have you read Impro by Keith Johnstone? He's kind of recognized as like the grandfather of all improv a good third of this book is all about masks, about using them and the effect that they had on the actors. And I think you would really like that. Thank you. But, I'm, I, I wrote it down and I will definitely check that out. Okay, quick aside here. I love to read and I love to read about improv and creativity, but I'm aware that it's often easier for me to read about a thing rather than to try the thing and risk failing at it. You may remember, if you listened to episode one, what Nikki said when I asked her about any improv books she'd read. I'd rather just do it. Right. I didn't take the training wheels off my bike until I was 10. My grandpa was over for a visit, took one look at my training wheels and said, well, those are coming off. No one argued with my grandpa. Not ever. Was I scared? Yes. Did I fall my first time out? No. My dad ran alongside my bike until I pedaled faster than he could keep up. And I was ready. And that feeling of freedom was like no other. So what I'm saying is, if there's a creative activity that you were doing prior to the pandemic and had to put on pause, get back to it. Or... If there's something creative that you've always wanted to try, try it. If I could send advice to my 10-year-old self, it would not be, honey, you really should read a book about riding your bike without training wheels before you try it. Know what I mean? Just do it. Great. So Ed, how did you find improv? I think I came to improv, I was at a spot in my life where I've been working with a coach and one of the things I was talking to my coach about was when people ask me what I do, 
or in general, when people ask you what you do, you just kind of come back and you say your job, right? I'm a, I'm an architect, I'm a firefighter, I'm a whatever. And I just didn't want to identify myself as I'm a software product manager. I wanted to not talk about work as my first introduction to myself. So it was kind of like, I just needed some hobbies. Like I needed some things to do that were not, oh, I go to A's games or, you know, I play golf once a week or I've been playing guitar for a while. So it was kind of more like I was looking for more of a creative outlet for myself. And guitar was one of those and music's always been kind of a big thing for me, but I wanted something a little bit more. And one of the things that I'd always felt like, I don't know if you're in a room or you're somewhere and someone asks for volunteers and there are people who just put their hands up and go. And I always held back. And that was something I needed to mentally get over that. And improv seemed to be a good way of doing that. I considered stand-up for a hot second and I thought that's way too scary and probably way too dark for me at this point in my life. So I just didn't want to go there. Fortunately, here in the East Bay, there's a lot of options and opportunity to jump in on improv. I think I also first started with Berkeley. I was taking some classes on a Sunday afternoon, lots of games, nothing major, but I really liked the teacher, Adrian, and he was in the Synergy Theater, Spontaneous Sherlock Holmes, Spontaneous Murder Mystery. And so I followed Adrian to go see this show, and that's where I found Synergy. I was like, well, I want to work with these guys. Like, it seems like way more it just seemed like a lot of fun. Like everybody out there was just having a ton of fun. So I was like, this is really who I want to work with. So that's how I found my way to Synergy. So typical midlife crisis story. What was it about your experience with Synergy Theater that, that kept you coming back? Well, it was always fun. We seemed to be like a good core group of people that were moving through the process together. Sarah, you were in a bunch of those classes there was, a, there was a core group of us that kind of kept advancing together at the same time. For me, that familiarity and that, that community really helped me stick with it. And it just felt like, it was funny when you were talking about feedback and being thin-skinned. The first time I ever got notes, I just left that class going, God, I, I stink at this. And I was like so down on myself. I thought about it for days, days, like three or four days before I got over it. I remember Ken actually said, what does it matter? It's just improv, right? So... I keep that saying in the back of my head. I think it's really a good way to remember to listen to people and respond honestly to them, but also that thing of making your partner look good and building on their ideas as opposed to just holding on to some preconceived notion you brought to the table and it applies everywhere, right? I mean, you can walk into a business meeting and you've got an agenda, right? Like I'm going to do this and this is what I want coming out of it. And then everything goes sideways because people have different needs and wants and desires. So it's certainly helped me in that regard, just in terms of my ability to accept what people are telling me and respond a little bit more sympathetically, I guess. Empathetically is maybe the right word. So when you talk to people now and you say, well, you know, this is what I've been up to. How do you describe improvised theater? The first thing that comes to everyone's mind is I'm doing stand-up, right? Every time. And then they start thinking, well, is it like sketch humor? And I said, no, this is more long-form storytelling, but it's just all improvised. So I'll just explain some of the shows that the performing group does, like it's spontaneous Shakespeare. So there'll be just a 90-minute play of improvised in, in the style of Shakespeare. And people are like, well, that's like mind-blowing to people, that, that a 90-minute story can be told 
holding that theme, holding that genre, and and it actually all works out in the end. So I, I really just kind of leave it at that. And then I say, yeah, we play a lot of games too. It's pretty fun. I do. I so appreciate the fun. I look forward to every class. I was looking forward to it before, but over the past year, I, I found that it was really a comfort, an incredible comfort. And in addition to that, because I'm in the classes and I am trying to do the best job that I can and taking the notes, I just marvel at the skill that Eileen has and the other performers in finding the thread of a story, building on it and delivering amazing theater without a script. It is pretty, it is pretty amazing when, when you see it done and it, and it's fluid. It's not tons of goofiness and, at the end, like every, like how do they, how did they solve that mystery? I remember going to one of the murder mystery shows. My wife's like, I didn't see that coming or something like that guy couldn't have been the murderer. I'm like, you, you don't understand. Like it just, they didn't they know didn't, he was the murderer until the end. They didn't either. <laughs> they didn't see it coming either. <laughs> um, something Ed, that you just said made me think, even as I was thinking that I understood the three rules pretty well, be spontaneous does not mean be random. This is something that I am understanding even better today. And that's a really valuable concept for me when I am attempting to, with my team, create a story. And you should be spontaneous, but there's something to it that I can't put into words, but maybe you guys can, that it should not be random. What do you guys think? I suppose it depends on the format and the situation, but I think that's the, the, the sort of challenge and the fun of it is that you are in this zone. I aim to get into a zone where I'm able to be spontaneous, but still aware and aware of like, if we're trying to build a story, aware of the story, but also free enough. And that's the spontaneity part to go with whatever comes up and to bring up something that will co contribute to that. It's not easy. <laughs> I was speaking to another improviser uh, just yesterday, and he interpreted be spontaneous to be present. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good, I like that. I was thinking it's also about listening and being focused because the moment that your mind goes elsewhere, you're not listening and then you're not being spontaneous. So I think that being present is a pretty good way of describing it. Doesn't it bring it all around, at least for me, I'm curious how you both feel, to almost like a spiritual experience? Like it almost becomes like a meditation at some point because you have to let go of your mind, yet you're still aware at some level. But it's, it's, I'm curious how you both feel about that. Yeah, I think the spontaneity piece is be open to whatever your partner offers you and then honestly respond to it as a character. That's the thing that I always struggle with is getting into a character based on a verbal offer. That's the thing I miss about being in the studio is that it's harder for me to react to the body language when we're all talking heads and box. Because I'm looking at you right now, but on your screen, it may not look like I'm looking at you. It's like, it's just the weirdness of Zoom and these communications apps for me. 
But yeah, I think the the main thing is just in terms of spontaneity, a lot of people interpret as be as funny as you can, like come up with a great one-liner. And that's not always what is needed. So it's about being in the zone. It's a great feeling when you nail it and you know it and you're in that scene and you're feeling it. That That's a super rush. What class are you in now, Ed? I'm doing an improv three on Wednesday nights. You say that you've been working on a character in that class? Yeah, three is mostly scene work. And we did a character, kind of a character class last week. And we were just focusing on character as opposed to story phases. I'm interested in hearing about your experience with that. The more I improvise and and try to play different characters, the more I find that it's me. Who I am is is more evident than I ever thought I would be in playing and pretending and being involved in a story and playing a character. Well, the more I act, the more I act like myself, but with just a little twist to one side or the other of my personality. So what was your experience? And did you experience something like that? And when you were going through the character training with Ken? I I can't say it was uh, as spiritual as that, but we did a bunch of exercises where we stood up and walked around and he said, make yourself into a mythical creature. And I, I thought of two people. I thought of Andre the Giant and Shrek. So I'm just thinking of like this giant lumbering guy and I played out that character. But then the second part of the class was like, okay, now just be a person, supersize yourself, but kind of maintain some of the, the characteristics of that character that you made. So like, who's like a big lumpy guy, what would he be? So I became Tow Truck Tom, you know, big guy hanging out in a bar after a day driving a tow truck. He was a big guy. He was kind of scary, but he felt really good because at the end of the day, when he showed up, he was saving people's lives because they were in a car wreck and he was helping them out. That was his whole outlook on life. And it just made being in a scene that much easier because people like see me because I'm big, but then there's like this whole other layer underneath it. It was really pretty fun. What I am finding is, and Eileen, back me up or tell me I'm crazy, is that who we are is in our character choices. So Ed, he chooses two characters who people maybe at first glance would make certain assumptions about, but they have a heart of gold. What do you think? Well, I think Ed does have a heart of gold from what Mm -hmm. I can tell. (laughs) I I would actually kind of, I'm going to disagree just a little bit because I was thinking about this before I ever did improv, I would I used to take BART to commute to work. And I would always see such a variety of people. And, and I would see homeless people and crazy people and very wealthy people. And um, what I found myself feeling a lot of the time when I was sitting on this train with these people is that how much of them is me and how much of me is them. Like we all have a an essence that I think we share. And if we are paying attention to everybody in the world, you know, that we come across, there's a little bit of something that you can relate to. So I don't think every character is a part of me as an individual, but it is certainly a part of my human experience. And somehow also for me, proof that who I am and what I am is not the person that I look like or the house that I live in or the job that I do, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Ed, and that I feel much more connected to humanity through improv 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned in Ken's classes. Ken is so welcoming to everyone and makes the class a safe space. I think he does it to enhance the creativity because when we all feel safe, we are naturally more creative. People who are so different from me, people that I would never think that I would have much in common with, there's more that I have in common with them than not. And that's something that I've learned through improvising and playing and making stuff up. What do you guys think? Did You know, you've gone to the improv um, retreat I know that you've gone, Sarah, and mm-hmm. Ed, you need to go whenever we get mm-hmm. to do it again. But when we did the first retreat, the only person I really knew was Nikki and all these other people in class. I, I used to think like, well, I don't really have anything in common with these other people. I don't know. We're different. But then after that retreat, I realized that we had so much in common and it was so mind blowing, like how connected we were by the end of the retreat. I think yeah. it's about being vulnerable and open and trying to help each other do something that's really scary. So you can't help but be open and get to know each other better. Ed, do you have uh, any questions for Eileen? I just want to know when our ensemble group is getting back together. Uh, (laughs) I I think we need to go out and recruit. Yeah, we do. I, um, I think that was such a fun experience. Every time I do something, teach a class or whatever, I feel like I learn a lot. And I had such a good time doing that. So I do hope we get to do it again. And I was hoping in that class to be able to explore more challenging formats. Do you feel like it's good to be challenged that way? Or would you have been more comfortable not having that? Oh, absolutely. I was actually wishing that we met more than once a week. Um, I just wanted more practice. I know that I needed more practice because I was being challenged and I loved it. I mean, I didn't think of that, but I, I didn't mind being challenged at all. I, I think there's the tendency to try to overthink the formats. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I agree. I, I think that when it worked the best, it was when we were all actively trusting each other, but also giving up control, didn't try to drive or come up with zingers. And I really value that experience. And I do, I hope that someday we will get back to it. Okay. So do you guys ready to play a game? Sure. Okay. Sure. Do you, this is one you've played before. Uh, do you remember the expert game? Yeah. Okay. So the, so the premise is uh, one of you is the talk show host and the other is the expert. And uh, the expert is an expert on whatever the talk show host delivers and the expert just rolls with it and anything the expert says about their expertise is right (laughs) totally right so i get to do the funnest part i think and that is i get to be the audience and come up with a spontaneous expertise which i'm going to put in the chat to eileen eileen will you please be the host and ed will you please be the expert okay okay Am I supposed to figure out what this expertise is or am I just No, gonna she's going to, she's going to deliver it to you, but oh. in her introduction and I can be the announcer. I can announce the show and cue Eileen. So, okay. Um, not random, but spontaneous. Okay. Only I am seeing this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So you're going to introduce my 
<laughs> okay. So yes. Yeah, so I will introduce the show and Ed, do you want to pick a name or Eileen, do you want to pick the name for him? Let's just go. Okay. Let's just do it. Okay. You ready? Hello and welcome to everyone's favorite talk show. And that is I'm on with Eileen. We have a very special guest today, which Eileen is going to announce. This is a world-renowned expert in their field. We've been waiting to get this person on for I don't know how long. Eileen, take it away. Thank you, Sarah, and, and welcome. Welcome, everybody. T today, I'm so honored to have our guest here today, Mr. Philip Marquette. Philip Marquette is well known over the years as the premier breeder and farmer of pandas and skunks. And in fact, you might correct me, but is the panda not a hybrid of a skunk and a polar bear? Well, many people do believe that, Eileen, but that panda is more closely related to a raccoon than it is a polar bear. And uh, that's what makes uh, breeding the panda so interesting. Now, that's fascinating. So a raccoon is more close to a skunk than it is to a possum, I would say, based on what you've just told me. A skunk or possibly um, a squirrel. Well, that is just outstanding information. And to what end do you attribute the odor-producing method of self-protection that the skunk utilizes? Is that something unique to a skunk, or is there still some piece of that left in these other animals? Well, that was the entire idea of the project, Eileen. We wanted to give the panda a little extra protection and try to breed that odor-producing gland into those pandas so that when someone came up behind them in the woods, they had a little bit of, you know, to protect themselves. It's, it's actually quite valuable. And I'm going to get a little personal here, so bear with me. I know that you have also been working on how to splice this odor producing gene into the human profile. And you've actually done that for yourself and your, your wife, I think you said. Where did you hear about that? I, well, I, I have a very good research assistant and fact checker. And actually it was proven by the, the strong odor that you brought in with you to the studio today. Let me just be frank with you. I know it's all in science. That was confidential information, Eileen, that I wasn't hoping was going to get out. But I guess uh, since we are on national television today, yes, we've been doing experimentation on humans. And my wife and I have been spliced with skunk odor-producing gland genes. And the reason why I'm a little on the right side is that being on television does, does make me quite nervous. I would like you to calm down. And the audience can't the radio audience can't see this, but let me just describe to you. I see that you've placed the odor-producing gland just below your earlobe on both sides. And there's actually a sack of fluid that one might think is just an earring upon first glance. Those are the sacks. Yeah. What better way to disguise your scent glands than to make them look like earrings? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, they are fashionable for men and women these days. So uh, I, we thought that that would be a good way to hide our mutant powers. It's, it's a really brilliant method, I have to say. Now, 
I am going to take a call from our audience. So be prepared for whatever questions come up. And let me just, okay, we've got a caller on the line. Yes, this caller is calling from Cincinnati. And your name is Susan. Go ahead, Susan. Hi there. Um, my name's Susan. Am I on? You're on. You're on live. Oh, Eileen, thank you for taking my call. Um, listen, I have to know, what is it about the skunk smell that just drives men crazy? That's a great question, Susan. So can you speak to that? Because recent research has discovered that it's actually a pheromone that, that is in the skunk gland. Is it not? Yes, indeed it is. And the reason it drives men crazy is because it reminds them of their adolescent uh, years. Ah, okay. That's, that's, that makes so much sense. I do want to ask you some questions about your breeding techniques, if you don't mind. That's what I came to talk about. So forgive me for taking that, that pungent tangent. Is it the case that in the, the breeding activities that you oversee them yourself? Well, of course I oversee them myself. I'm the expert in panda skunk breeding. I can't really relinquish control to people who don't have the expertise that I have. Let me, let me just be very frank with you. You're being investigated right now by the Ethics Committee on, on Marsupial and Rodent Breeding Association. Did you not participate directly using your own gland? I did. I did it. I used my implanted gland directly on the skunk. And I have to tell you, being that close to a skunk and that skunk pheromone was terrible. It changed me, gave me superpowers. And I wanted to come on the show to announce that I will be fighting crime as Panda Skunk Man. You'll, you'll smell me coming first and then you'll see me. Oh my, I'm just so impressed with that because you are actually taking a negative and making it into a positive and you're actually using your, your own glands to, to better society. So grateful for that. Well, I appreciate your understanding, Eileen. And I do have to say, I, I probably have to get going because it looks like your entire audience has passed out from the fumes and I can see you're looking a little dizzy yourself. So in the interest of public safety, I think I ought to let you go to a commercial break. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us, audience. We'll be back after this commercial break. Yay! <laughs> that was fun, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That was fun. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> good, that was good. Fun. And that's our show. If you think improv sounds like fun, it is. If you think you'd like to try improv, it's easy. Just go to SynergyTheater.com and click on School of Improv. Synergy Theater offers beginner, advanced, and master classes. Synergy Theater is also on Facebook. Please rate, review, and follow this podcast. Your support makes a difference. Synergy Theater is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit that depends on the participation of current and future star supporters and improvisers like you. Thank you.